I'd really like to, uh, I'd love to spend some time praying right now. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I know when a conference like this, it's easy to just, okay, I'm supposed to pray, so close your eyes, here we go. And we don't recognize the magnitude of what we're about to do. I mean, you think about it. If we literally came into the presence, if you as a human being literally came into the presence of Almighty God right now in heaven, what would that experience be like? I mean, breathtaking, beyond anything we've experienced thus far. And so I, I, I know that sometimes when I come on a stage, I can be... Um, so aware of people and, and a crowd that I forget about who I'm coming before. And I don't want to do that right now. Many of us are leaders and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get up here and you just start saying things for the sake of the people. You start praying things because it's expected of you rather than really thinking about who you're speaking to. See, I, I, I believe that if I speak to him in all of my sincerity, if all of us do because of the blood of Jesus, because we can come to him with confidence because of the blood of Christ, I believe that if we speak to him right now in all of sincerity, he will hear us and, and, that it, and, and, and something can happen in the next few minutes that's beyond like someone just coming up, giving a sermon and, and everyone going, okay, that was good or that was okay or whatever, like, like, like something real could happen, like exactly like the stuff I read about in this book. And I think for some of us, maybe we haven't experienced something like that in a long time, but I go quite possibly it's because we're not really dependent on our prayers and really believing that we're coming into the presence of God. And without that type of faith, he says, you're not going to, you're not going to receive anything. And so I want to believe right now that something can happen because we're about to come into his presence and I'm going to beg him because, because I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I, I go, I don't know these people. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know who needs to be encouraged and who needs to be confronted. I don't know, I, I don't know the truth. And so it's like, Lord, I need you. Otherwise, this is a waste of time. And so I want to come into his presence, into the one who knows everything about you. He knows every single lie in this room, okay? He knows every struggle, every hurt. He just knows everything. And this is about his glory. And I don't want to start saying things out of this mouth that won't bring glory to him. And so I, I'd like you to pray for me. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to come into his presence and say, God, make sense of all this as we are still alive today for some reason here on the earth. And we want to make this about you. So let's just bow our heads and think about who we're speaking to. God, it's so awesome knowing you. God, 
God, the thought that one day I'm going to see you in all of your glory, and I'll be talking to you like this and seeing you in a whole different existence, and yet right now it's, it's, it's in some ways no different that I'm communicating with you. Everything's in your hands. This world as we know it is going to come to an end. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth, and everything's going to be different. And God, we think about that. We want to dwell on that, Lord, so we don't get caught up and the things that aren't going to last and the things that are temporary. You say that everything we can see right now is temporal. But you, almighty God, are eternal. And you've got a plan for us. And so, Father, I trust your infinite wisdom. From eternity past, you've known that you were going to create us and put us in this room tonight. And God, I'm just asking that we don't waste this opportunity this time, that we don't look back in eternity with regret over this next half hour or hour, however long you have us here, but that we used it for you. God, I pray for the young people in this room entering into ministry. God, in a world that is so against your word, so against your morality, that is so proud and so sure that their ways are right and basing their belief systems on desires and feelings and thoughts that come from their own minds rather than your word. I pray that these young people would see through all of that and not get caught up in the ways of the world. I pray for those who have been in ministry for a little while, God, and are maybe at that midlife point where they're just starting to lose some faith, that you would encourage them, light a new fire in them. God, I pray for the elderly men and women in this room who've been holding on to your truths and your word all these years. Thank you, Lord, that they're here with us. And God, I just pray that you would raise them up like Caleb who at 85 was still full of faith and ready to take risk. I pray that some of these elderly people, Lord, would take some steps of faith now as they're about to see you soon. May they be willing to risk it all so sure of what they believe that they would be the example for the younger generation of a life of faith all the way to the end. May they not play it safe and just survive. But may they believe with a childlike faith. God, I don't know what you want to do tonight. I just pray that I don't dare get in the way or say anything to draw attention to myself. But that we leave here in awe of you of your grace, of your love, of your majesty. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that internal work in our lives, that I'm not manipulating anything in the flesh, but that deep would call out to deep, and there would be something of your spirit through your word. 
so that everyone leaves here edified, confident, excited about serving you for whatever time we have left. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me here. I've, I've uh, spoken at the youth conference a few times, and I, I do want to say this because I, I, I speak every week somewhere, um, and I often forget, like I may forget I was ever here. Um, that's just the way the Lord wired me, um, very in the moment, and I, I thank him for that. It's just, um, he creates us differently. Some of you guys remember everything, but I... I uh, I do remember, though, speaking at the youth convention um, for the Church of God, and what I remember most about it was not necessarily the gathering with all of the students in it. I remember this gathering we had outside with just the leaders, um, just the youth leaders, the youth pastors from all around, and I remember looking into their eyes and seeing a life and uh, I, I don't know, there was this, there was a depth in the word of God and there was this warmth and this love for Christ and there was this, uh, this passion. It was just different because I don't normally remember these things, but I remember looking at that crowd and going, I really like these guys. Man, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't expecting it for some reason and I got there and I saw this life in them. I go, man, they are in great hands and, and I guess the Lord brought that to mind because I, I see so many churches that don't pass the baton onto the next generation. And I want to say in your denomination, in your, you know, whatever you call it, I don't know, people are like, oh, we're not a denomination. You are. And, you know, it, it's in your whatever you want to call it. I, um, do you guys call it a denomination? No. Okay, what do you call it? What's your name for it? Movement, okay. In your movement. Um, <laughs> unlike the denominations that I've seen, I, I just see so many that don't pass it on, and it gets older and older, and, and I get it. I get it. Man, you know, as I'm getting older and, and trying to pass things on to the next generation, and you see some of the weaknesses, and you're like, ooh, can I pass it on to that? You know, because you see that, um, and we don't see our own weaknesses of as we get older, there are some things that we lose, like that childlike faith and those steps of faith that the younger generation is, is willing to take. And uh, I've just seen a lot of movements die. Um, and I guess I, I wasn't planning on saying any of this, but I, I just encourage you. I remember seeing that life in that next generation. And I sure hope that God gives you the wisdom to pass on um, some of this wisdom and, and responsibility and authority to them. Um, because they're, I mean, that's our job, right? It's like, okay, my, my kid, my oldest is 19. I've got seven children. Um, my oldest is 19. My youngest is six months old. I've got everything, you know. <laughs> but, you know, as my 19-year-old, you know, has gone off to college, there's a passing on 
Okay, you go, you start your own thing and you have the authority to start your own thing. I want you to start your own thing. And so often in the church as pastors, we don't do that. We don't raise people to lead. You know, we, we kind of want to keep our group and keep them dependent on us. And that's, it's killing the church. Um, it's really releasing because it's a trust in the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about the stupid things you did when you were younger, <laughs> right? But you were given the freedom to make those mistakes and you grew through those and you, you just go, look, I'm not going to turn my daughter into the perfect parent, you know, and, and the perfect wife, you know, at, at a young age. It's just we all grow in it. But if we don't let go of that, the movement's going to die. And uh, I'm very grateful for these young people in your, um, in your movement. And, uh, um, and I, I just... I don't know if that resonates with any of you, but it's, it's you know, sometimes we just hold on too long. And, uh, yeah. There is a danger in moving too quickly. I get that. You don't lay hands on an elder too soon. But I have seen there's a tremendous danger in waiting too long. Um, and you, you just don't want to make that. And remember the power in the Holy Spirit. Remember how God used the young people in this book to lead. Um, and so I, I, I thank God. I remember when I started my church, I was, uh, I was 26 and had no idea what I was doing. And, and I just remember going to the oldest man I knew, um, this guy named Ron Wilson. He was like 60. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know a lot of old people, but... Uh, I just remember going to him, and, uh, and he's still alive. It's crazy. Um, but uh, I remember going to him and telling him, I go, hey, Ron, I think I'm going to start my own church. Like, I've never thought about this. I'd only been married for two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, so first I tell my wife, I go, honey, oh, this is crazy, but I think God wants me to start my own church. And... I'm scared. I, I don't know. I know we've never talked about this. Um, I said, I don't know if anyone's going to show up. We're just going to, I'd like to do it in our house and just have some friends over. I don't want to take any money because I don't want to be a burden to the church. And, and, you know, I can wait tables or do whatever I need to do. You know, would you be willing to maybe work and, uh, you know, she was working a job, but can you like support us for a while? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I ever want to take money from the church. And, but for now, this feels like this calling. And, and just remember my wife saying, you know what? If this is where God's leading you, I, I married you believing that God would lead me through you. So, honey, I'm, I'm with you. And then I, then I went to Ron. I went to Ron, the, the, this old godly man. And I, I, said, <laughs> um, I said, Ron. And he's like, huh? You know, uh, I, I said... <laughs> No, but I remember telling him, I go, hey, I'm thinking about starting a church. You guys, and I, 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 I got to tell you, I just wanted his advice. I just wanted to know, okay, what do you think? Is this crazy? Because this has never entered my mind. And I remember him telling me, like, I, I, I felt like I misheard him because at first he, he just says, he goes, Francis, if you start a church, he goes, you need to know that I will follow you and I will go anywhere with you. I believe in you. And, and I thought, wait, I, I seriously said, wait, did, 
did you say you would you would show up, you would come, you would be with? I mean, I because you don't hear that. You don't, you, don't, you don't hear that from your wife. You don't hear it from an older man. As a young man, we're not used to hearing these things, that someone believes in you and sees the Spirit of God in you and knows you're going to make mistakes, but says, you know what, but I, I, I trust the Spirit I see in you. And I, I tell you, that changed everything. I go, man, I've got my wife, Lisa. I've got Ron with me. Let's just start this thing. Okay, just come over to my house. Let's just pray. Let's just figure this out. And I'm just going, man, where are the Ron Wilsons? Where are the Lisa Chans that will come alongside these, these young men of God who don't have it all together? But you believe because you see something in them and go, you know what? God started that in him. And so I'm going to ride this out with him and see what happens rather than you know, shackling them and, and, and squashing their dreams and, and it's always not yet or just stay under me a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And man, I get it. We, we don't want to give over too soon, but let's just, let's figure this out. Let's work this out together because I could not have done that without Ron Wilson. Man, there were just too many things I didn't get as a young man, and I so thank him for being in my life, and yet I'm so grateful that he was a support and an encourager and is to this day an encouragement in my life. But so often in the church, we see this power struggle or something and a jealousy, and I, I don't even know what's going on some of the times. I just know what I've experienced. I've seen it when the support is there and the encouragement is there, and I look back, I go, I could never have dreamt of doing the things I've done without their support. And that's the way God intended the church to be, right. where young and old were together, and there was a way that we all humbled ourselves, yes. that we got to a point where we humbled ourselves. I, I'm, I'm at the point now where I realize, look, I don't want to be in the spotlight. My whole life right now is about coaching, and, and to no, go listen to him, go listen to him, go listen to him, and, and giving off responsibility. That's what Jesus was about. It's like, okay, I'm going to have the short time here on the earth, but the Holy Spirit's going to enter you, okay? So I'm going to prepare you for a few years, and then boom, I'm, I'm going to send you off. You're going to be on your own. You've, he, he got the believers, he got the disciples to believe they could change the world. And I just don't see that happen in the church very often. And, uh, and so there has to be a humility in the younger people, you know, to say, you know what, I need that type of wisdom with me. And there needs to be a humility in the elderly to say, you know what, it's time to pass this thing on and give tremendous support, even when I don't quite understand some of the things they do and their crazy music. Um, <laughs> but uh, having said all of that, um, what are we talking about? You're, the theme, the theme that I was given of this conference was um, taking back what the enemy stole from us. Um, that's, that's, you know, when your leaders uh, emailed or called, I don't remember, they said, this is what we want to discuss, taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. That's kind of been uh, just something that was on their hearts. And I love it. I love it. I started thinking, okay, what has the enemy stolen? 
you know, I have a couple restaurants that we run. Um, one of them is with guys that came out of incarceration and, you know, got them back on their feet. They're all being discipled, you know, mentored and walking with the Lord. They're becoming amazing leaders and they work in this restaurant. We got robbed one time and they stole stuff. But some of the stuff we didn't even discover was stolen for like weeks later. It's like, hey, we're, we need that now. Where is it? And it's like, I think that was stolen a, a couple months ago during that. Wow, we just it never occurred to us. And, and, and I feel like that's what's happened in the church. Like that the enemy has stolen things that we don't even notice. Um, and it's just become common. We've done without it. It just started happening. We went on in life. And I, I'm just going, God, what are some of those things that somehow they can leave us. And I, I believe the biggest thing that the enemy has stolen from the church in America is, is our faith in the supernatural. Amen. Like we, we can start looking at everything from a fleshly perspective, just like the world. You know, we, we, we start saving like the world does. We start protecting ourselves like the world does. We set up services like the world does. Okay, if we have this person, this person, this person, it's going to work. Okay, well, where does God fit in all of that? And where's the supernatural dependence? And where is the God using the lowly, the things that are not, to shame the things that are? You know, where, where, where are the supernatural Bible stories where, gosh, it doesn't make any sense to march around a city seven times, but it's going to work. You know, where is that in the church today? I think we've lost it. And we're going with strategies that are proven methodologies that I go, well, where, where is that? I, I'm, I'm trying to find that in this book. And it's always been about people getting on their face and that faith. And it's like still believing. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I just want you to think. Think about when you were younger. Okay? All of us. You know, in your 20s or whatever, just, just think back, though, about childlike faith. Don't you remember, like, walking out of Sunday school and hearing about David and Goliath the first time, you know, or the hundredth time? You know, it's our favorite story. You, you just, you hear about it, and you just walk around like, God can do anything through me. He can do anything through me. And a lot of us, when we first entered into ministry, we had these dreams, Right? Do you remember that? You just had these dreams in your mind of, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to see hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people come to know Jesus. I'm going to see this happen in my lifetime. And then when things don't quite pan out in the timing that we expected, we start shrinking back a little bit, like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll just play it safe. Maybe I'll do this. I, I remember being in high school, falling in love with Jesus and just thinking, I am going to save my whole school. You know, I seriously thought that way. I thought, you know, I'm going to start a Bible study in this public school. No one's done it. I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to make it happen. And, and, and I had dreams, visions as a young man, 15 years old, like, I'm going to change my campus. Watch. By my senior year, I'll have the whole gym filled, you know, and we're going to be preaching the word of God. I'm going to transform this whole campus. I remember it was me and uh, this other kid, um, David Chesney, I still remember his name, and he was from this weird denomination called Church of God, and uh, <laughs> I think back then it was a denomination, and uh, 
that was the first I'd ever heard of Church of God. I'm like, okay, I think I'm a Baptist. I don't know. Okay, you know, I'm just a new Christian. And, and so I just remember starting this study and, and thinking, okay, here's what we're going to do because this is what God's called me to. I'm going to change my campus. And I remember just talking to all my friends about this newfound love I had for Jesus out of this fear, this terror, like, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to be apart from Jesus. I want to be with you forever. I care about you. Talking to my friends during school, after school, you know, inviting them to these Bible studies. I remember, you know, there's a little group of 20 of us, you know, out on the lawn, and then we rented like a lecture hall, and it grew to like 50. You know, next week there was like 70, you know, 75, 80, and I'm going, okay, this is it. This is the dream, and then there were 50, and then 30, and then 20, and then like eight of us. Um, and you go, man, that, that's not what I envisioned, Lord. I had faith, but I believed. I thought, I thought we were going to fill up the whole gymnasium. And I just got rejection after rejection after rejection. And uh, I look at Scripture now and I go, well, God never promised revival in that sense. He never promised the masses. In fact, a lot of times he promised the opposite to a lot of his prophets. He would tell them, right, you're going to preach for years and no one's going to listen to you. Isaiah, you're, you're just going to keep talking, talking, talking until their ears get dull, until their eyes grow heavy. They're just not going to listen. Keep, keep talking, though. Jeremiah, everyone's going to be against you, but keep talking. And I, I get that now, but those early days, I was thinking, no, if I'm going to preach this, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a revival, but God never promised that. He promised he'd be with me, and it, it's caused me to look, what does God promise? Because I don't want to stop being a dreamer. I just want to dream about the right things. You know, the biblical things, because what the enemy can do is cause us to have faith in things that God didn't promise, and then when we don't get them, we think God didn't come through. Right. You know, you meet people who say, you know, I believed in God, and I gave all this money, and I didn't become rich. And I'm like, well, he never really promised that. <laughs> you know? I, I thought everyone would get healed every single... Well, he didn't promise that either. But our faith diminishes. I remember as a kid reading, you know, and this one I still struggle with a little bit, but, you know, it talks about if you have faith, you can move mountains. And I remember going into my room, shutting the door, and trying to move stuff. <laughs> I did. That's how much faith I had in this book. I was just starting small with, like, paper and a pencil. And just like, come on, man. I, I should be able to move mountains at least. Let's be honest. Has anyone else tried that? Thank you, thank you. There are some believers in the room. And, and you know, but, but that faith, I believe God loved that. You know, as you get older, you realize, okay, it's going to be according to his will. I mean, if I moved a mountain whenever I wanted to, and you did too, it'd just be like, you know, we're <laughs> out snow skiing. It's like, oh, I ended up in Japan. You know, it's just... You, you start to understand the miracles and the faith and when and God's timing and all, but, but you don't want to lose that faith. And I know Satan can do that in us where 
Some of you started ministry with some different dreams and assurances. And when things don't work out and when people start to hurt you, you, you switch gears from this faithful dreamer to someone who just settles, right? And I'll settle for a church that just keeps existing. I'll settle for a half-full church that at least pays the bills and keeps the lights on. And maybe you dreamt of revival and now you're just settling for survival. You go, well, I'm still here. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about masses that aren't promised. I'm just talking about this fire in here that still believes in the supernatural. That God, I, this can happen. And the world can rob you of this and very smart Christians can rob you of this. And, and, and that's why sometimes older Christians can rob the younger generation of this and go, no, I know better. I've been around a little longer. That doesn't happen. And it's like, no, come on, man. Where, where's the faith in this? That's why we love the story of Caleb, 85 years old. He goes, no. He goes, man, I remember there were 12 of us. We went out and spied out the land, and I remember those 10. Man, they started talking to all of the people, and they had all the people's hearts filled with fear. Like, no, we can't defeat those giants. It was just me and Josh. We were like, no, no, this can happen. This can happen. And he's at 85 going, no, you're not going to do this to me again. You're not going to do this to me again. I saw those 10 people, and they got everyone afraid, and they try to keep us quiet. But me and Joshua, we kept believing and God says, you know what? Those 10, they're going to die in the desert. And so are all of these people. But you too, because you believed. And I want to be the Joshua and the Caleb. And you got to ask yourself at one point, do I sound more like those two or those 10? And what kind of legacy am I going to leave behind? Do you know the names of the other 10? No. The only legacy they left behind the only legacy they left behind was everyone looking at them and going, I don't want to be like them. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hear that from a lot of the young people today. I don't want to be like my parents. They played it safe. They lived for things in this world. I didn't see the faith in this book. You know, and I, I try to calm them down. I go, okay, you know, you understand. They, they may not have had the teaching you had. They may, you know, it's by God's grace that he's giving you this, 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 this mindset right now. And, 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 you know, praise God for that and still respect them for it. But there's this sense in which a lot of times there's this legacy that's left behind of I don't want to live like that. Versus what Hebrews 13 says is consider, you know, your leaders, obey your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay? It's, it's looking at someone like Caleb and going, man, he's 85 and he's ready to, to go after the, you know, he's ready to go to battle. He's still believing 45 years later and, and to go, man, I want to follow someone like that. And I meet so many young people, they're going, I want to follow someone like that, but I don't see it. You don't want to leave this legacy of he played it safe, he survived, she made it through. No, but it's like, no, she was living by faith till the end. They were selling stuff, getting rid of stuff, you know, taking risks because they realized, what do we got to lose? 
and we're gonna stand before God any moment. And they lived like they really believed in eternity. Like that's the legacy. Um, and we can lose that. I mean, we live in a country that's hopeless. This generation has very little hope. It's the first time in our country's history where the vast majority does not believe the future is better than what we have today, that it's gonna get better. Everyone's just kinda got this, let's just survive it, let's just ride it out, let's just get through this thing. Man, I work with a lot of people who are no dreams whatsoever, are just drugging themselves to death and just waiting to die. And you see a lot of people that way and I'm going, gosh, I think that can creep into the church. Um, Do you still have a dream, like in your, in your mind, can you still envision the church in America? Okay, try to imagine this, because I still dream about this. I feel like I'm starting to taste some of it, and I'm excited. But I've seen a lot of people give up on this dream. I, I still believe the church in America, at least a bunch of congregations in America could still take on the characteristics of that very first church where I go, no, they could live as a body. I, I, I could see it, Lord. I can see a new generation rising up that doesn't care about stuff and aren't all about declaring their independence from one another, but really just saying, I don't care about my things. Here, you're in need, I'll sell something. Here, it, you, you need a place to live, come move into my house and a sharing of belonging where, where no one is in need. I, I, still, I, I still can envision, and I believe it's gonna happen in my lifetime, where I'm gonna see a unity between people of different movements, you know, and denominations. Like, I, I see it. Where some of the young people are going, why, why did we divide in the first place? And, uh, and, and wait, in Christ, let's, let's, let's put up with one another, not just put up with one another, but love one another deeply, like deeply, like what God wants, what he wants, and what I believe is possible, because I read about it in John 17, and Jesus prayed it, and I can't imagine Jesus praying something and asking God for something, and, and that not being possible, but in fact that it would actually happen, and he prays for this unity. Not, not just a unity, but he, he wanted us to love one another just as he and the Father were one. So not just that you would say, okay, I'll accept Francis as a believer or a, you know, a fellow Christian. No, no, no. His prayer was that we would be one as the Father and Son are one. Okay, think about how close the Father and Son are. Have you ever even dared to believe that that could happen in the church? That you could love me to that degree as the father and son are one. So that the world may believe. That's what he says, you do that and the world's gonna believe this supernatural love. I, I still have this dream where I go, no, this can happen. I, I, I believe that there can be a church where people come not to consume, but to give, 
to use their spiritual gift. A church where it's not just, oh, there's a great speaker and a great worship leader, and so they fill a room. But a church where they were actually attracted, the world was attracted because of their love for one another. Like, I, I've never, I haven't seen it. I'm starting to experience it, and I'm dreaming again and going, no, Lord, this, this is gonna happen. This is gonna happen. This is going to happen. I'm not gonna settle for anything less. I've done the giant church where everyone comes because I have a gift of communication. That's not what Jesus asked for. He says he wants you to love each other so deeply that the world would know, wow, look at the love there. That those, are, those must be disciples of Christ. A unity, that, a love that causes this belief and this following and this attraction. I, I, I believe I'm gonna be a part of that. A church that's pure again, that says, I know the world's getting further and further in their sin, but I'm not going to follow them and just stay one step behind them. No, I'm going all the way back to the purity and the holiness of God's word and how he calls me to live. I, I, I believe there's a church that can be like that, that's missional, that's thinking about those who've never heard rather than sitting in a congregation saying, you didn't feed me enough, but that they're thinking, you know what, I need to go out and feed all these other people who've never even heard once. Like, I, I'm believing in that. Now, I looked at a couple members in my church recently. I go, look, I need you. I need you so badly. I need you. That's not something I was used to saying. I took on the American spirit, which was, you know, I'll do this without you. I got this. I got this. I've got enough gifts to figure this out. You want me to draw a crowd? I'll draw a crowd. I'll draw a crowd on my own. I'll just teach the word so well. I'll be so spiritual. I'll draw. A... But that's not what Christ asks for. And he says, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And so the Lord's been teaching me to look at people that I go, I don't, I, I'm not even sure exactly what your gift is, but I've got to find it. And we've, we need you. The, the body needs you. I need you to be at your full capacity. I need you to be so fired up knowing that you've got this super spiritual manifestation of the spirit to offer to our body. Not come here to complain. Not here to say this, 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 this. I go, no, I don't, I, I, I'm tired of that. I need you to be strong. I need you and your wife to figure out what that gifting is because I need you in the church to serve the rest of us. So let's figure out what that is. And I, I dream of a church where everyone comes in going, I've got something to give. Not just those two people on the stage that are going to feed all of us, but I have something for this. And I go, you know what? I'm going to be a part of this. I, I, I'm dreaming of this. I'm believing in this. Now, this may not be this massive thing of thousands and thousands of people that sustain all these salaries and everything else. And I go, you know what? I don't care. Um, I'm going to set myself up so that I don't need it because what I do need is to be a part of this pure church, Amen. this bride of Christ that's attractive, that's a light. And I still dream of it. And, I, and, I, and I, I've seen periods in my life where I just want to give up where Satan's trying to rob me of this belief that the church really can be that beautiful here and now. I've had Christian scholars tell me, well, that was a cultural thing back then. And I'm like, no, you know what? I believed you for a few years, but not anymore. 
Okay, no, because why would they write about it in the book of Acts like it was this crazy new thing that they began to sell their possessions and give to those who were in need? Because it was different. It was weird. If everyone was doing it, why even write about it? No, that wasn't cultural. It's not cultural to be selfish. That's just human nature. And, and the church has never just followed the culture. They've always ran counterculture. That's the whole point of Israel. That's the point of the church. I want you to live differently. And so I just, I love it because the Lord's going, you know what? You can dream again, Francis. This, this, this can happen. You can have faith. You can believe. But some of us, maybe we've just given up on that dream. I mean, as I prayed for what do I say to this group in light of this theme it was that thought of, are they still dreamers? Still believers in the supernatural? Do they still believe? My favorite verse, James five seventeen, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah's got nothing on me. I'm reading about how he's sending fire down from heaven whenever he wants. And then I'm reading the New Testament going, it's just a man. Where's your faith? You believe you can do that? Dreaming again. I'm going, okay, Satan almost got me. Satan almost got me. And I was just going to go down the same methodology and everything else and doing it in the flesh, working harder, hiring the most you know, talented people I could find and just going with this American system. And it's like, no, 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 I'm getting back on my face and I'm believing. Amen. Now, Paul warned Timothy. He says, look, in the last days, people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. Right? He didn't say, hey, Timothy, there's going to be revival. In the last days, man, you just preach and people are going to flock to your churches. No, he says, no, in the last days, a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.3. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what is that about? Is it because they studied the word of God and go, you know what, I think I've got better theology now. No, they have these passions, things welling from within their own fleshly desires, and they go, I want this, so let me find a teacher that will tell me it's okay to do that. It's not, it has nothing to do with theology. They weren't going, you know what, I think God wants me to leave my wife. I was reading scripture and I got that from here. No, in their heart, they wanted to leave their wife. She was annoying, she was this, she was that, whatever it was, and they go, well, let me find a teacher who'll tell me it's okay. Christian bookstores are filled with those books. What, what do you wanna do? Any, any sin you want, I'll find you a, a teacher with a PhD to tell you it's okay. And people are going to start going to those places. And he says, you know, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. They're going to find teachers who will tell them to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
the next three words I love in verse 5. He says, as for you. Okay, here's what's going to happen everywhere else, okay? People are just going to, you know, say what the people want to hear. Oh, you want to believe? Oh, I just want you to come. I just want you to put your money in the, in, the, in the offering basket. I just want, oh, you're famous? I just want you in the church because I might draw other people. You know, I just want the room to feel full. Like, we got to pay our mortgage. we got to pay our staff. He goes, as they're doing that and, and, and watering down the word of God for whatever reason, he goes, I don't care what everyone else does. Timothy, as for you, always, always be sober-minded. Okay? Think clearly. Don't get clouded by what everyone else is doing. Get alone with the word. Know what he says. Teach it. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Timothy, it's going to stink when people are walking away from you. You married them. You buried their child. You loved on them. But now you're confronting their sin. They're going to leave you, and it's going to break your heart because you go, man, I gave my life for that person. He says, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Okay, let me just... Time out of here to say something about this. Do the work of an evangelist. Okay, years ago, I would look at the church as a whole and go, man, we're not caring for the poor. There's needs around the world. There are women being raped. There's kids enslaved. There are people starving. And so I just got the young generation so fired up. of Let's not just sit here and talk about it. Let's go do something. And I praise God that I got to be a part of that movement as God lifted several of us different ones. They were just saying, let's give it all for the kingdom. It's worth it. And so now we see a younger generation that is really about these causes. But uh, what I've seen is now that it's somewhat popular, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, to go and rescue those who are in sex slavery and, those, and getting clean water to those who don't have it. I praise God that it's a, a popular thing. But people are running to those things and they're not preaching the gospel anymore. And that's hard. That's difficult. So this pendulum kind of swung to where, good, good, care for them. But they're thinking, well, you know what, let me just do this. And, uh, you know, I'll preach the gospel by my actions, you know, and not my words. And I'm going, that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? It's like two wings of a plane. It's got to happen. Okay? And we don't want to say anything that's offensive. And so I'm saying if that's you, that you're scared to look someone in the eyes and say, look, I'm very concerned for you because there is a God in heaven who is coming back to judge the world. And yet he loved you and he sent his son to die on a cross for you to pay for all of your sins. And he rose from the grave and he is coming back to judge. But if you believe him and put your trust in him, and there's no other name, Accept the name of Jesus by whom you can be saved. Okay? That's unpopular now. That's very unpopular. Um, so therefore, we'll be quiet about that. But we'll talk about human trafficking, and we'll talk about feeding the poor, because you're not going to face any persecution from that. Believers or unbelievers. It's very safe. I'm not saying it's not good. Remember, I'm the cheerleader for all of that. I'm just saying that, okay... But Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. 
and endure the suffering that's going to come with that. And that's not what I'm seeing a lot of nowadays. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, look, they're going to go to the popular things. They're going to go get their ears tickled over here and go, you know, but you keep preaching the gospel and let them leave. Fulfill your ministry. See, he says it's going to get bad in the end days, in the last days. And in chapter 3, he'd already explained, he goes, understand this, in the last day there will come times of difficulty. It's going to get very difficult to minister in the last days, and I think we all agree that we're pretty close to that. If we're not in those days, it's hard to imagine how can this thing go on much longer. And I know every generation has thought that, but the pace of things nowadays... It's just those of us who've been around a little while are going, man, we've never seen things change at this pace. How much longer can it go? And, and, and Paul says, in those last times, there's going to come times of difficulty. But he's talking about the church. And what he says is he says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. He's not talking about the world. Okay, just like in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 when he says don't associate with these people, he goes, I'm not talking about the people in the world. He goes, if that were the case, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, you'd have to leave the world. He goes, I'm talking about anyone who calls himself a brother but lives these ways. He goes, don't even eat with such a one. And here Paul's telling Timothy, look, it's going to get terrible in the end because even in the church, these are not atheists. These are people who have some form of godliness but deny the power that's available to us. Okay? It's not talking about the world. It's anti-Christian, anti the No, it's people in there. He says, look, they're going to be lovers of self in the church. And I hear this in the church. I hear it in the church where you've heard it too, where people say, well, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, and I don't love myself that much. So I'm just going to work on loving myself more. We've heard that, right? I need help to love myself more. And I'm just going, you know, honestly, sweetheart, you, you love yourself a lot. Every time we get together, we talk about you. And you want to talk about you again and how you can love you some more. That's not your problem. Uh, your problem is something that God can rescue you from, where you actually love. Loving self is actually the opposite of love. Okay? It's, it's actually it's, it's about thinking about others. And it's amazing what happens when you start becoming a giver. This is what Jesus can do in your heart change you from a self-centered person. See, he's saying, look, in the last days, people are going to love themselves. You guys, sociologists are saying that we are the most narcissistic uh, group of people by a long shot in all of humankind, in all, all mankind, ever since the world started, because we think it's normal what we do. We think it's normal that everyone on the planet makes a page about themselves. Right? 
Of course I would make a page about myself and put all the best pictures of me there and write all these brilliant thoughts that came from me and try to get as many followers of me as possible. And that, that, it's like, man, in the last days, like they would have thought, no, that's impossible. Everyone on the planet trying to draw attention to themselves and talk about themselves rather than the creator? And this is normal even in the church? To draw attention to self? Some of these things that we've just, we've given up on. The, the enemy stole this from us. The church used to be a place where people didn't want attention and want to give all the attention to the Father, to the Son. They want the name of Jesus lifted up. Not themselves, but this crept in. Satan stole this from us, that purity. The proud, the arrogant, the abusive, disobedient to parents. We just assume that in the church. We're shocked when a kid actually obeys his or her parents. You come home and go, honey, I was working childcare and there's one kid listening to her mom. It's weird. You guys, Satan stole that from us. Look, the authority in the home, we can't, we can't, because once there's not that loving authority in the home, then suddenly they, they impose that upon God. Like, you can't tell me what's right and wrong for me. And that's the attitude of the world. But it started as that kid throwing the tantrum and, and mom going, I'll count to three. I'm going to count to six now. You guys, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, I don't allow this in my house. Because, you guys, I'm supposed to be a reflection of God. And God isn't this weak being up there going, I'll count to three. And so I show my kids, look, you, you, don't, you don't disobey me. You, you just don't. Am I forgiving? Absolutely. You know why? Because my father is forgiving. Do I show grace? I'll show you a ton of grace. Are we going to be intimately in love? Man, I love my kids and my kids love me. You know, but why? Because that's the way God is with me. But I don't cross him. I don't tell him, hey, my thoughts are actually above your thoughts. I know this says this, but I think this. I, I don't do that. See, but the church is just going to get all mixed up. They're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And people, in the, even in the church, even from the pulpits, will be drawing people in, not to be lovers of God, but lovers of pleasure, where they'll preach things like, hey, if you follow him, he'll make you rich. He'll get you a new job. He'll, he'll, you'll never get sick again. You know, hey, all the pleasures you ever wanted, and we're drawing them by pleasure. And it's like, no. No, if you follow Jesus, there's no promise you'll be rich on this earth. There's no promise that you'll never get sick or never go through hardship. In fact, life's going to get more difficult. But if you follow Jesus, you'll get Jesus. And that's a greater treasure than all of that. We don't want to be people who, are, who just have the appearance of godliness. You know, I want to, I want to close with a, a, a prayer. Um, 
the Apostle Paul prayed. But I don't hear many people at all pray like the Apostle Paul did in Ephesians 3. But I've been praying this. In fact, I prayed this for you. I prayed this for you tonight. Ephesians 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. When's the last time you got on your knees before the Father? I'll tell you, backstage in my little room, I was on my knees praying for you. Because I know where the power comes from. I got on my knees. Do you bow on your knees for the sake of your congregation, your small group, whoever you're leading? Do you get on your knees and pray for them by name? I tell my pastors, I said, look, if you're not going to spend time praying for your people, um, I don't want you as a pastor. I really don't. I go, is that the type of pastor you would want? I said, I said think about it. I said, if you've got a pastor in a, in a church of 20 people or so or whatever, you know, because we have like a house church network. I go, if you were one of those people, what would you want of your pastor? I said, what if your leader wasn't a great teacher? Just say his sermons were boring. It's very possible. Maybe he's not a great leader. But what if you knew that he knew God deeply? Like, man, that guy's connected to God. And what if you knew that every single week he was on his face, on his knees, praying specifically for you by name and for your children and for your family? Isn't that the shepherd you want? Where you go, man, it's like Moses. Did you care if Moses really had a great sermon? No, you just know he was on the mountaintop and talked to God and he brought your name before God Almighty. You'd go, okay, I'll take Moses as pastor. I don't care if he talks a lot or long or stutters, you know? It's like, man, he knows God and he gets on his knees for, for me on my behalf. That's an awesome pastor. I said, if you don't do anything else, do that and there'll be results. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He reminds us that from every, it's, it's kind of a play on words where he says, you know, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every, um, the word in the Greek is almost like father, uh, father group, you know, like, like it's, it's like every, every, every dad comes from the dad, every dad who was the head of his home and his family, it, he, they all derive their name, they would never even been born, they never would have been created without him, just think about that, if God never thought about creating me, I wouldn't exist, okay, what if he didn't think of that thought, what if he didn't think Francis Chan, I wouldn't be here, like everything comes from this one being. He thought to create you. And Paul says, I get on my knees before the one who thought to create all of us that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He said, according to the riches of his glory. I love this phrase. Because he's reminding us again who he's talking to. There have been a few times in my life where I've, I've hung out with, uh, with different billionaires. Not millionaires, billionaires. 
only met a couple. And you try not to show favoritism, but it's hard. Okay? Because in your mind, and it's not for selfish, I don't need any money. But for, my, for ministry, I'm thinking, you know how easy you could make my ministry? <laughs> you know, life, like you could help me build this, you know, hospital that I've been trying to build in, in Africa. You could help me do this. I'm trying to, you know, create this app that would get everyone reading the word for themselves. And I'm tired of raising money. You could change everything. You know, and that thought's in your mind, and it wouldn't even be that much. It'd be like 50 bucks for most of it. Like, you could change, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you meet those people, and you know what they're capable of, and so you, you try not to talk to them differently. You try to treat them equally, but ultimately, in your heart, you know, oh, man, this going could change my life easily. Change my ministry, my church. Think about the riches of God's glory. Think about what he is capable of doing. He's reminding them, here's this being who, from whom every family on the earth is named. Everything came from him. And according to the riches of his glory, he goes, I come before him that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, what is God capable of doing in our inner being according to the riches of his glory? He goes, I'm on my knees going, God, make them strong in the inner being. Make it about his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Have you lost the mystery of that? Because in the Old Testament, when they talked about this day that was going to come when God would put his spirit inside of them and that whole Ezekiel vision of the valley of dry bones, it was like, you got to be kidding me. God's going to enter a human being? You can't do that. You can't put the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, all that power, and cause it to go inside of a human being. Does that, does that even work? Is that physically possible? And God says, no, that day's going to come. And so Paul's on his knees and saying, Lord, do it. Strengthen them with power through your spirit in their inner being. That's what I prayed for. Because I don't want to, we don't want to create an atmosphere where we motivate you externally to go do stuff. Hey, next year, whoever brings the most friends will give you a cruise to the Bahamas. <laughs> right? It's like, the church has given in to these weird things. And it's like, no, I want it to come from in here. Where it's, it's inside. It's, it's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a spiritual thing. And God, according to the rich of his glory, decides, you know, I'm going to fill this person. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it from the inside out so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love. See, so many people in our congregations are not rooted and grounded in love. And you know it. That the moment something goes wrong in your church, they're going to be gone. It's like that seed that falls on the rocky soil. They're fine as long as everything's perfect the way they want it. But the moment the sun comes, the moment the wind comes, if they don't have their eight accountability partners, they're done. They're done. Versus the person who's rooted, like that tree that's roots just go rooted and grounded in love because something internal happened through the Holy Spirit. Like, I can't walk away from Jesus. I can't. I really can't. 
I, I've, you know, even when I try to dabble in sin, it's like, oh, I'm a slave to what's right. I get out a little bit. And it's like, I can't, I can't leave him. I'm rooted here. Do whatever you want. A, a believer with the Holy Spirit is not someone that survives as long as everything's right. It's a person who's so rooted that they survive even if everything goes wrong because they're rooted. And that's why Paul was praying for the Ephesian church, and I hope you're praying that for your members. That it's not like, God, just help him to stop smoking or help him to do this or this or this, but it's something in, internal. That you're not just figuring out programs to keep them away from sin. That they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth God, give them strength so they get it all. A lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but you know the ones who get it, that get, okay, no, you don't get how big this thing is. You don't get how wide and long and high and deep, or you wouldn't be talking this way. And that's why Paul's on his knees, Lord, help them get, I know they say they believe in Jesus, but they don't get it. Help them to get how wide and long and high and deep. And to know, this is a great phrase, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love that phrase because it's not a knowing that you just pass on like algebra class. Okay, A squared, B, you know. Okay, I got that. No, no, no. This surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is not something you just explain to someone and they get it intellectually. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's, it's, it's something that, that's why he's on his knees. Otherwise, he would just lecture them all the time. No, he's on his knees. He's going, God, they've got to know this love that surpasses knowledge. They've got to have this security, be rooted, grounded, like God really loves me, so nothing else really matters, and I'm never going to leave him. They need to know this in the last phrase that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think of that phrase, filled with all the fullness of God. Like, God, that's what I want to be. I want to be filled with all your fullness. I don't know what your goal in life is. If you want to be a great speaker, an author, or singer, or this or that, or have a big church, or whatever it is, or a bunch of Twitter followers, I don't, I don't know what's your dream, what's that perfect ending. But I go, God, that's so shallow. And there were times in my life where I pursued some of those things. And I'm going, God, that's so dumb. You know, but because the, the, really what I want is to be filled with the fullness of God where people go, that's not a normal person up there. That's not a normal guy. I hung out with him all day. And there's, it's just, he's just filled with all the fullness. Not like, oh, he swears a little bit less than that guy. He doesn't drink as much as that person. He's a little bit nicer than most people. Oh, he gives a little bit more of, of his money to the poor. No, it's just she is a miracle. I, I don't get it. She's filled with this peace, this love, this joy, this patience, this kindness. Like, I, I, she's, she's not of this world. She, she's otherworldly. She's supernatural. I want them to say, man, look at him. He's different. Like, he's, he's just filled with, I want to be known as a man of God. You know, 
man, a woman of God, and those are the people we want in our churches. It's not people that just do the right thing, but we're on our knees going, God, would you just fill my people with your fullness? Because they're not there. Can you help them to see how wide and long and high and deep? Because I don't think they're getting it. They're just coming to a service. Lord, you know, fill their hearts, get them rooted, grounded in love. You know, so they're strengthened in the inner being. And we're not just making them put money in a plate or making them, you know, stop sleeping with their girlfriends. You know, it's just something inside where it's welling up and it's spiritual again to where I want to use my gift in the body. I don't want to come here and just freeload and take and consume. Like from in here, I've got a gift to offer this place. I've got to serve someone. I've got to use this gift. Like that's what I believe about the church and of the future. And I want to pray that you haven't lost that dream. And I want to pray that you would get on your knees on behalf of your congregation and pray this prayer of Ephesians 3. Not just, oh, I pray for, you know, Lucy, her ankle hurts. You know, I'm done with those prayers. You know, let's pray some deep, life-changing, internal change because that's the only way we're going to survive the onslaught of the world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. And now, Father, I bow before you. We're all breathing because of you. And you could stop us at any second. It's all up to you. And I'm praying that according to the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, all of us here, by the power of your spirit and the inner being, God, that this is not just some manipulative rah-rah rally, but that you and your spirit would strengthen us in the inner man. And our people, God, so we can all know just how big you are and how great your love is for us, how wide and long and high, how high and deep. God, may we not do things out of insecurity, but do things because we're rooted and grounded in love. Fill us with your fullness, Lord. Fill us with your fullness. Fill my brothers and sisters with fullness. Fill the church of God with your fullness. Give wisdom to the elderly and how to pass on to the next generation. Give humility to the young generation to walk humbly with you and never stop dreaming, never stop believing. Elijah was a man just like us. You can do crazy miracles through us. Purify your church, Lord. Purify your bride. May we one day be known for our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.